0: Do you have a story? You probably do. No, you you definitely do. It's hard sometimes to see yourself in that way, that outside looking in perspective. After all, our lives aren't movies. Time is a habit of both sprinting by and blurring together. But if you think about it, if you do want to be on the show, if you got a story you want to share, give me a shout. Point form if you like, just the facts, nothing fancy. I'm at stories at thelabs.org. Let's chat. So while I've got your ear, I'm going to ask you that time-old question. Would you consider supporting what I do if you like it? Maybe a buck or two a month, nothing that'll break your bank, but will, this is my next goal. Ensure I at least make minimum wage putting these stories, you know, sometimes hilarious, sometimes horrifying, sometimes heart-wrenching together for your listening pleasure. It's like a street busker, you know, with an empty guitar case, it tells me that I should keep on playing. So if you, if you want to join me, I'm over at patreon.com slash the labs. Just a buck or two a month actually keeps this going. Thank you. With that said, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Lap Storytelling Podcast, where we tell true stories gussied up. I'm your host, Kyle Jest. And today, wow, well, I tell you, there are elements of this story and of all the stories that are here, especially the tough ones that resonate with me. But this particular story I relate to on a much more personal, kind of visceral level. So I heard this story once and my heart broke. I put the story together again, a story by Sean Duyette, by the way, and uh, listening to it this third time, this one last time before I put it up, my heart broke uh, a third time. I am calling this story simply, The Devil You Don't. See with your ears. This
1: is The Lapse. I love rollerblading, and... uh... It's kind of difficult to do around here because the streets are really narrow and they're not really well kept. So I brought him out to the tennis court one day because it's nice and smooth. And just started skating around trying to see if I could play tennis on rollerblades. And... uh, Bow, bow ball, sorry. He and I invented rollerblade tennis. (laughs) At least we think we did. Sean
0: and Steve are cut from the same kind of cloth. They're both healers, very zen, very athletic big into yoga and Chinese medicine. That's how they become good friends with Jim, and before long, the three of them are planning to launch their very own spa. This one day in particular, Sean gets a call from Jim. Hey, let's go over to San Francisco and uh, pick up Steve. He had a tough day at work. You know, I guess he left
1: early. He wasn't feeling well, so why don't we go pick him up and we'll go for a hike. I was in the car just waiting for them. And I saw Steve really briefly, and he looked agitated. They jumped in Steve's car, and I followed them to Mirror Woods. I was right behind them in the highway, and I saw Steve wildly gesticulating, and, you know, seemed really animated. I didn't think anything of it. Jim looked really distraught. I thought they had some sort of argument. What's going on? Jim turned around to get in his car and leave. He just said he didn't feel like going anymore. Didn't feel well all of a sudden. Don't feel well. Steve went over, and Steve talked Jim into going on the hike. Steve was, like, standing really close to Jim, with his arms out, like, shielding him from something. I don't I was... Uh, I don't know what he was doing. I was laughing at it, quite frankly. I thought he was was just being silly. Whatever. (laughs) Steve kept going in my backpack and taking sips of water. Finally, I was feeling a little dehydrated, so I went in and I realized that he drank our entire water supply. We're way out in the woods with no water. I was a little angry. Pissed, actually. We're
0: not going any further without water, says Sean. I guess we better head back. If they follow the map, they should be able to hike back in about 20 minutes.
1: We weren't quite clear.
0: When they take a wrong turn, that 20 minutes quickly comes and goes. Lucky for them.
1: We found a waterfall, and so had a few sips of water.
0: Steve. On the other hand,
1: although he had all of our water, he got in the waterfall and he was just guzzling water. We walked a little further and came to this crossroads and there was a big boulder in the middle of the trail. And he took his shirt off and threw himself on the rock and started crying. Jim got really quiet really quiet and distant. And I didn't hear a peep out of him. Steve just keeps reciting this mantra over and over. I just want to go home, I just want to go home. Let's, let's just, go home. just go home, let's just go home. home. Just go go home. home. Steve started crying again. <laughs> crying and then sobbing loudly, moaning and making all these weird noises. He just flipped out and started screaming at the top of his lungs and threw himself down on the, on the trail and started punching the earth with both hands, screaming, bawling, crying. Jim had had enough. He, he was scared, didn't know what the hell was going on, so he, he took off. I thought, okay, something's really amiss with my friend. And so I sat down next to Steve, who was still face down. He had stopped punching it at that point. And uh, we sat for about five, six, seven minutes, and he calmed down, wiped his tears away, said again, Let's just go home. I just want to go home. I said, all right, let's go. We're walking. We're both quiet. We walked, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 minutes and um, came around a corner and there was a bench. And we could see that Jim was sitting there waiting for us. As we approached, Steve walked up behind... Jim and wound up, clocked him in the face, in the side of his face. He didn't even see it coming. Steve had fallen on Jim. I was on top of him, punching him. As I approached, I saw Steve lean over and bite Jim's head, biting, ripping hair out of his head. I grabbed Steve and I pulled him off. Jim was lying there, bleeding profusely. Steve turned to me and said, I need to kill him. I need to kill him. Steve
0: actually lunges at Sean, landing a blow across his cheek. Before Sean can even process what happened, Steve is already back on Jim.
1: Back on him again and start biting him again. My adrenaline was through the roof. I picked him up and threw him. And he landed on his back. I tried to get up and I pinned him down, put my knee in his chest and held him there. He seemed to come back. He started asking me where he was. And he started saying, I I just need to go home. I just need to go home. It's like he didn't remember what he had just done. He just kept saying, let's go. I want to go home. I want to go home. Where's Jim? Where's Jim? By that time, Jim, he stood up and he took off sprinting down the trail. So a few minutes passed and I I let him up. He walked some paces ahead of me really quickly. And he turned around and and, uh, stopped in the trail and I... I get goosebumps. The only way I can describe what happened at that point was like it was like this this veil came down over him. And I could see a change in his facial features, I see a change in his eyes, I gotta go find Jim. Where's Jim? I gotta kill him. He turned around and started sprinting towards where he thought Jim might be.
0: As he's running, Steve shouts back just one warning.
1: Go back a mile. And I'm like, holy shit. And I was just pacing back and forth, pleading, God, what should I do? I just heard a voice in my head say, go after Jim. Uh, And um, I didn't like that voice. (laughs) I didn't like that recommendation, but I knew I had to do it. And so I did. I'm starting to seize up because I'm so dehydrated.
0: Sean slows to a walk, and just out of his peripheral vision, movement.
1: Standing at the top of the hill is Steve, trying to get a better perspective to see if he could see where Jim went. He sees me and he runs down. Let's go find Jim. I gotta find him. I gotta kill him. I wanted nothing to do with him at that point. He wasn't my friend.
0: <laughs> but what else can Sean do but play pretend? Together, they continue the hike back towards the entrance.
1: We knew we were going the right direction at that point. And so I was walking really slowly, letting him a nice little buffer between us. I'm following, following, following. He stops, turns around, and looks at me. Steve? He starts walking towards me. Steve. And he breaks out into a full sprint. Sean tries to duck, but Steve cracks him in the top of the head. He reached over my shoulder, grabbed my backpack and my coat, and yanked it up over my head, hockey style. I couldn't defend myself. Put my hands and my elbows in front of my face and my chest as he was uppercutting me, punching me. And I could see out like just a little tube of light grabbed me and uh, pulled me and him off the side down a pretty steep hill. Steep enough that there's no way to stop your descent once you're rolling. Head first down this hill, I see a tree. I'm on my stomach, I'm sliding down the hill and I reach out hoping that my arm's gonna catch that tree. And it did, it did. And I swung around, everything was still on my head and my face my backpack and my coat. So I grabbed the tree, he grabbed my foot got behind me and wrapped his legs around my torso and got me in a rear naked choke and started choking me. You're cranking the head and forcing the person's larynx into your other forearm. I turned my head down and, in, and so I was sipping air, sipping, just sipping. And he started biting me. I had this vision of me at the bottom of the hill with a freaking rock with my head stoved in. There was no way in hell that was going to be me. I had this massive surge of energy. I reached up and grabbed his hair, he had long hair, and pulled his body over my shoulder with one arm. He rolled down the hill and was able to stop himself and started scurrying back up. I had an opportunity to get my whips about me and pulled my coat off. So I wrapped my legs around his, his hips and his waist and was able to then control him. I started pleading with him again. It's me, it's, it's Sean, it's your friend. And he's swiping at me, punching at my face. since I had his arms, starts trying to bite my chest. his pupils were as dilated as they could be. That was the, the thing that really struck me, man. He, he didn't look like himself. like an animal. Suddenly, Steve rips an arm free and he grabbed my necklace and turned threw it down the hill. And as he did, he opened his chest up, I let go of his other arm drew my right leg back, and I kicked him in the chest as hard as I could. And, uh, that's where he remained. I scurried up the top of the hill. I'm fully dehydrated at this point. After a few yards, my legs seized up, and I couldn't bend my legs at the knees. And I'm praying now, I was like, I'm screwed. If he gets up now, I I don't have the energy anymore. He never followed me. Jim was hiding out behind some trees and uh, he was on a cell phone. And they're telling him to stay there, stay there. And I'm like, let's get the F out of here now. Fireman's yelling at him over the phone. Stay where you are, and so he he stops. I kept going. We're close to the end. I could feel it. Started seeing people on the trail. Finally, saw this girl, and I was like, "You better turn around." I told her what happened. She gave me some water, and uh, I probably scared the shit out of her, telling her telling her the story. Eventually,
0: Sean finds the trail entrance and a whole lot of first and second responders. Where's Jim? Where's Steve? Once they know that, they want to make some arrests.
1: Grilling me and uh, telling me that I better tell them what sort of drugs we were doing. <laughs> Steve, he was on the verge of being a teetotaler. He would drink some wine, but he never did any drugs, drugs. Ever. We weren't doing any sort of drugs. I don't know what happened. The authorities locate
0: Jim, bring him on back
1: his face was cracked open and his blood dripping everywhere and he had a broken orbital bone. We had our little moment before the fire department took over, took him, put him on a stretcher and everything started dealing with his injuries. And then I heard someone was on a walkie-talkie. We got him. He was right where I left him. Just sitting there like rocking back and forth. Didn't know where he was, wouldn't speak to them. I just jumped in, in Jim's car and was trying to catch up with the ambulance that it was really really tight roads out there, so I'm flying trying to keep up with them. I don't know why I was thinking I could catch up with them. <laughs> I don't remember what happened that night. I don't remember where, where I went. No, you know what? I did go to the hospital. I remember I did go to the hospital. We we I did. Yeah, okay. I hadn't thought about this part, man. I was, I was sitting there, and Jim was in the other room getting treated, and then, oh god, about an hour went by, and then they brought in Steve, and I was like, holy shit! I don't want to be near him. I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be near him at all. And he was in. They put him in. Like two rooms away, and we could hear him in there screaming, yelling. He was still freaking out. But that was freaking me out. I didn't want to hear that. I didn't want to be close to that. Yeah, I talked with with Jim. Talked with uh, the nurses. Uh, I was just like, I know it's. I didn't want to talk anymore. People asked me all the same inane questions. Man, they found my backpack, but they kept it as evidence for a while. They, of course, they. They probably went through it looking for drugs. <laughs> looking for all, all whatever what sort of drug would cause something. That was good. That was a little bit of closure for some reason. I got my My coat that I had, actually that had the opposite effect when I when I, I saw the coat again. I remember loathing the coat. It's interesting now. When I think back. It made me angry to see it. <laughs> I wanted to destroy the coat and get rid of it. <laughs> Which I did. I threw it away. I went and uh, and saw Jim, and he um, he became really emotional as soon as he saw me. He was he was sobbing, crying. He was a sweet man. He's just super kind, uh, always smiling, and never had a beef with anyone. I talked to him a couple times after that, and then he just he faded away and didn't. Didn't answer my calls anymore. I called his the place where he's employed and he had quit. He had sold his home and they moved out of state. Yeah, Jim, Jim's, he was a sweetheart. I got a call from Steve's parents. They thanked me. I don't know why. I guess from, you know, he might have indeed killed Jim. I think they were thanking me for stopping that so their son wasn't a murderer. One time he mentioned that when he was a teenager, he was going through a tough time and had some sort of breakdown. Turns out he was bipolar. He was always eccentric, but you know, never never violent. His father asked if I wanted to see him. I don't know why I said yes, but I guess I wanted to see him as himself again he didn't look like himself again he looked like uh he hadn't slept in weeks and he looked nervous to be out in public i gave him a hug thanked him you know, for being back i guess i don't know i know a lot of people say that's the last person i would ever think would do that they're so sweet and <laughs> that that was him to a T, man he was learning uh, kite uh, surfing windsurfing and uh, we also did that on rollerblades we had a training kite and quarter quarter sized training kite and a big parking lot <laughs> and we were scooting around the parking lot with this massive kite you know last time i heard he was uh he was living near his parents and actually practicing again practicing medicine you know he was one of his One of my best friends I ever had. Used to do all kinds of cool stuff together. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That story again was shared by Sean Duyette. Sean actually wrote a book. With Steve back in the day. Uh, it's called Moto Yoga, that's M O T O, about two good friends on their particularly zen motorcycle journey together. If you're inclined, you want to either know what Moto Yoga is or you want to learn a little bit more about maybe their history together, there's a link to that at thelaps.org. Thank you again to my executive level patrons this month. I do not know what I would do without you. Uh, Dan Lesser, Richard Gwertz, Haley Smith, Anthony Cantu, 802 Studios, Jill Galvez, Rob Holcomb, Matthew Gibson, Jennifer Cherney, and Cindy Krines. If you'd like to join them, I sure could use the support. It's uh, been ticking down a little bit since we hit our goal to keep running. Uh, you can do that at patreon.com slash thelaps If you'd just like to plain and follow me, you can do so on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the Podcast. You can also reach me directly for any, any reasonable reason at uh, stories at thelapse.org. My name is Kyle Jest, and this was The Lapse. Thank you so much for listening.